Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening or good morning or good afternoon, whenever you are. Welcome to episode 14 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined by Stacey Patton on a day that there's a lot of things to say on this day about the short term, the game tonight, the Brooklyn game, and any thoughts you have about what this means big picture. The Knicks had a 28-point lead in the first half. They were up 18 in the fourth quarter. They lost. The Nets did not have Kevin Durant. The Nets did not have Kyrie Irving. The Nets did not have Ben Simmons. The Nets did not have Joe Harris. The Nets did not have James Harden. The Nets did not have anybody. Um, But they had enough to come back and win. And Stacey, first thing I'll say for myself, this game felt like an absolute microcosm. So this is the last game um, before the All-Star break. The Knicks won't be back for um, a little over a week. For me, this is a perfect microcosm of what this season has been. There is this hot start that feels just effortless and, and it's so nice. And then things start to go wrong, but you're not really worried because, like, how bad can it actually get? And in the game, of course, we know how bad it got because the Knicks blew a 28-point lead. Um, but also then when you look at the season, if you consider it in a parallel, the Knicks started out this season five and one. And since then, if my math is correct, are they 21 and 32? The Knicks are, I'm sorry. I, they're 20 and 33 since that start. Um, to me, this game just, it felt like the whole season. It felt like. In a, in a macro way, too. Like, early in the season, I had no real doubts or concerns about Tom Thibodeau. I do now. In the game, things early on are going along beautifully. Late in the game, I'm questioning some of what I'm seeing. Um, what 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 stands out for you from, from this one? Uh, I mean, it was everything we've come to expect. Um, I think... One thing that's a little bit damning for Tibbs is I think one of the defenses could have been you can't blame him for Julius Randle um, turning into a pumpkin, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Randle had another good game tonight. Um, Was it a perfect game? No. Uh, I think against a team whose bigs were LaMarcus Aldridge, sorry, the ghost of LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre (laughs) Drummond, um, I would have liked to see him attack the rim more. But again... I think he's he's these are becoming commonplace numbers again. 31 points on 22 shots, 10 rebounds, um two blocks and a steal even. Mm-hmm. Did have a big big miss box out late that ended up being a pretty a deciding factor but I, I so I'll get to that in a second but I think that that's a crutch that people have given Tibbs which now they're still losing. Um they're not just losing to good teams. Um, they're, they've lost now to Brooklyn, they've lost to Portland, and they've lost to Oklahoma City. Um, so two of those teams are actively tanking, to put it nicely. Um, Oklahoma City, even their best players from the tank, Lou Dort and uh, Shea Gildas-Alexander are out. 
Portland obviously traded CJ McCollum. Um, they have Anthony Simons, who has seemed to really take to kind of mm-hmm. fully having the keys now. And I have nothing but great things to say about Anthony Simons. If um, he's a restricted free agent this summer, and I would absolutely throw him a bag and, and make him the point guard of the future if I could. But the reality is that Portland is smarter than that, I think. Yeah. Um, but th- th- So w- what do you blame it on? And all three have featured big blown leads. And here's the thing with the minutes. People get on the minutes police thing, right? Like, oh, you know, back in, you know, uh, AC Green used to play 50 minutes a night, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe the Knicks need to stop having sex or something. Whatever it is, like back in my day, we didn't we didn't have these the soft rules. Are we winning games? Or are we losing games? Right? Can I draw a causal arrow? And I think I can because Randall has consistently been great for three quarters. I think one thing that we've discovered is that the key for him is really playing fast when he bogs down and he holds the ball. I don't even know if he wants to do that, um, but he's been playing faster. But for three quarters, three and a half quarters, he looks amazing. And then at the end, it, they go back to ISO, they slow it down. Um, and uh, like I said, like he missed like the last offensive rebound, right? Um, that was a huge possession. You can tell the Nets wanted, you could say they wanted it more, or the Knicks were gas, whatever it was. The last possession, the Knicks played good defense. The Nets generated multiple offensive rebounds. Uh, and the first one that, that started it all was Randall missed a box out. He looked up. Instead of putting a body on Bruce Brown, who's much smaller than him, and Brown was alert and got the ball. On the one hand, is that a problem with Randall? Absolutely. Like he he, he has to he has to make that play. On the other hand, he's played 38 minutes. He's been playing thirty eight minutes a night for the last seven games, mm-hmm. um, and he has a capable backup. Obi Toppin had eight points on six shots in ten minutes. Uh, somebody was like, well, Obi was getting killed on the glass. He also had four rebounds in 10 minutes. I know rebounds are not a perfect stat. Uh, he had three defensive rebounds. Understand that he could still get killed and still put up rebounding numbers. I'm not arguing that. My point is we focus so much on he's getting killed on the glass without realizing that the team is scoring more points when he's out there than the other team. Mm-hmm. And they had when you have a 28-point lead, you have the luxury of being able to play those guys more um, and then, yeah, I mean, and then the last thing I'll say, um, I, I don't really, it's tough. I was really happy when we got Kemba Walker. He's been one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA and college. Um, you know, and he's a New York guy, but it's not working at this point. Um, we show in, in, you know, I think there's a lot of room to talk about Emmanuel quickly. Um, we can, I'll, if I start talking about him, I'll, <laughs> Probably talk a lot more than I need to, but it was clear who was better. And I don't even blame Tibbs that much for like, everyone was like, why did he take quickly out in the middle of the fourth? Well, he had played several minutes, right? He might've wanted to rest quickly a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, he quickly did have a couple of shots he missed in that time. So f- fine. Um, the problem was when the Knicks lead was dwindling, and this is something we've seen too often he leaves. He left Kemba in for ten minutes at the beginning of that at four, uh, that second or uh, second half, and we see this all the time where the Knicks are just bleeding points. They're not scoring on one end. They're getting beat. What more do you need to see? And he won't make a change. And you know, by the time he does, it's too late. So, um, and, and it's especially stinging, right? Because, um, and I, I can just sit in your thoughts on this. So I'll end on this. 
the Knicks did have another point guard on the. They have another point guard on the roster is healthy, and they sent Miles McBride to uh, the G League tonight. And by his standards, he actually had a bit of an off night. Only twenty three points and nine assists. Um, <laughs> for him in the G League, that's an off night, right? Um, and on a day when look, I'm that last shot by Cam Thomas. I'm not going to put that on Grimes. That was a deep shot. I thought Grimes yeah. actually did a solid job. Most of Cam's damage came against Kemba. Um, but he just wasn't available because whether it was a front office decision or a Tibbs decision against a team, there's multiple things that are problematic here. One, um, against a team that's going to be perimeter oriented you, and ended up killing you from the perimeter because it wasn't Andre Drummond that killed you. Mm-hmm. Um, you sent away a pretty good perimeter defender. That's number one. Uh, and number two, against a team, if there was ever a time where you could get him some minutes and see how he's going to do, you just quit on that, right? Like, they don't have Kyrie Irving tonight. You could have seen how he was going to do. But we had to play Kemba Walker um, just because Deuce is a second-round pick. And that it, that's what really drives me crazy. It's like he's barely gotten a chance. And then you would say, well, Tibbs watches him in practice every day, right? So Tibbs watched Quentin Grimes in practice for the first couple months. And I can't give him credit for putting Grimes in the lineup because he only did that when he was forced to. And the Knicks had like eight bodies after mm-hmm. COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was like, how, how the fuck is this guy getting minutes, right? That's what it looked like, right? Um, we saw Jericho Sims come in against the, the MVP, a guy who always kills the Knicks. And to be granted, he scored on Sims. I'm not going to act like Sims locked him down. Sims was always in position. He didn't, he didn't get bullied by Jokic. He contested everything and Jokic hit tough shots. He also made himself a force on the offensive glass. There's rough edges in his game. He weirdly can't misses box outs on free throws. I don't know if he's worried about a lane violation, but those are minor things. Like Sims looked worthy of minutes. And so at this point, um, and last year, I mean, and last year, you know, we saw what he did with quickly. At this point, it's tough. Like Reddish also, right? Reddish didn't have a great game tonight, but I think his defense has been very good. Um, Reddish wasn't getting minutes until RJ got hurt and he's looked good. So at this point, it's like, I don't know how much weight the whole, he watches them in practice and they have to earn it thing happens. Tibbs himself said today, yeah, Deuce has been great in practice. Well, your starting point guard has not. Um, your backup point guard is technically Alec Burks. He, whether it's related to the role or not, I personally think that's a big factor. He's gone from being a very exciting player to a shell of himself lately. Yep. Um, I mean, is Deuce that bad? Um, I might be willing to give you the benefit of the doubt that he would be if I hadn't seen other players who you labeled that way come in and do well. And by the way, Deuce has had a couple of good performances. Yes, he he had one very good game, 15 points, nine assists, four steals. It was against like the tanking Rockets. But it's sh- and, and he's never looked he's never looked like the kind of guy who's gonna be lost on defense, but right? <laughs> he's physically capable. He's certainly be an upgrade on Kemba there. Um, so then the question is, what are you losing? Well, Kemba, does Kemba give you that much more playmaking than Deuce would? It's really tough to buy that right now. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of confusion right now. Thibodeau, after the game, um, said, quote, everything is on the table now. I don't know what that means. I don't know why it's on the table now. Um, I... I I could literally pick like any part of the roster right now or the and have a have something that I just don't understand. Um maybe you can help me. So one thing I don't understand. Um 
and maybe I know this is maybe a Thibodeau scheme thing, but but one of the concerns I've had this season, I know that when you hire Tom Thibodeau, he's more of a a known quantity than like some other people are. Like Tom Thibodeau's teams are going to play a certain way. They're going to emphasize certain things. You know that. And again, yes, I can acknowledge that I've written about it a lot. The Knicks need to walk before they can run. And maybe Thibodeau's the kind of person who straightens you out enough to walk. But when Mitchell Robinson came to the Knicks, um, one of the things that was remarkable about him was not only his interior defensive presence, but the fact that he was kind of a destructive force even on the perimeter. Crazy, like usually going to block shots too much. But over time, I think he learned how to stay out of foul trouble. He got a little better defending um, guards in space. All year, especially tonight, I always see Mitchell Robinson pick and roll. He's in drop coverage. He's not Enos Cantor. He's not, to me, someone who can't, like, I get Tib wants the paint closed off. He doesn't want anybody coming in the paint. I get it. But watching certainly Cam Thomas in the fourth over and over, getting a switch on Mitch, Mitch or getting Mitch off of a pick, and Mitch sometimes contested him pretty well, but like he wasn't stationed aggressively. It was more the fear of the Cam Thomas drive, I get. And if Cam Thomas wants to drive at Mitchell Robinson, let him. But if he's going to keep pulling up and you're going to keep playing drop, I understand the theory that Thibodeau subscribes to, but there is a point where you have to make an adjustment. And especially with a guy like Mitch, who that's the thing. If, if, if you're not going to use Mitch's mobility, right. Um, and maybe Mitch, maybe Mitch was being too conservative himself. Right. We don't yeah. know. Right. Yeah. Cause there are, there are many degrees of drop. Right. So it could, Tibbs might have wanted him to play more aggressively and, and Mitch might've not felt comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact is when you have these guys, like that's part of the appeal of Mitch. He's, he's not as mobile as a guy like Nerland's Noel. He was when he was younger, but you know, that's kind of the trade-off of how he's changed his game a little bit mm-hmm. and his size. Um, but if you're not going to use them that way, then he just, then you're just, you're turning Mitch into not even Rudy Gobert. You're turning him into, uh, you know, just a, a Roy Hibbert. <laughs> you know, that's what you're turning him into. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, so it's it, that's a problem. And again, when you're getting cooked, right, by these drop coverage things, when you're not, when your bigs are, it, I love Todd Gibson. He's a huge part of this team, and I don't want to see him get benched. Um, but he he struggled. He played. Mitch was in foul trouble, or Mitch didn't play much. And there was a point where Mitch had 13 minutes and Todd at 21, and I was like. You couldn't have cut, and Taj was at that time the Knicks were still ahead. Taj, I think, was the only player with a negative plus minus, mm-hmm. at least on the Knicks bench. I think on the whole Knicks, and the whole point was, you have to give him twenty one minutes after Sims played well. Um, is is Sims bad in practice? I'm pretty sure Tibbs would say no. He's been doing great after Tibbs played well against Nikola freaking Jokic. You couldn't put him out there tonight, uh, especially where the one th- that we just said Mitch maybe his mobility wasn't good enough, right? That's the one thing Sims brings. He is very agile. We saw there was a possession against Denver where he actually got scored on, but he got switched on to Bones Highland, and Bones gave him all of these moves, right? It was like watching Rucker Park stuff, and Sims just stayed with him. He moved his feet, and he made a good contest, and, and I mean, Highland made, like, a, a, a shot worthy of Steph Curry. But, you, like, that's been his MO, so why would you not even try that? Mm-hmm. 
another thing. Um, I get the point also about, okay, like sometimes Thibodeau gets crap for burning people out. So quickly had been playing a nice game. Um, at some point in the fourth, quickly probably needed a break. I think a lot of people probably feel that the break went on too long. Um, he didn't come in until I think the last two minutes when I'm sure the Nets already had the lead. But if you're Tom Thibodeau and you're going to pull the Phil Jackson and not call timeout, you're just going to let your team go through the struggle. I'm fine with that. I like it as a fan. Yeah, I enjoy. It. Even though they lost, I enjoy it. Like I'd rather watch that. Watch another shitty commercial. Yeah, exactly. So like that's fine, but specifically one of the things quickly was doing that was very nice that was conspicuous for its absence when burks was in the game quickly was having a nice time in the fourth like getting getting his man stuck behind him in that chris paul manner and probing like getting into the paint or pretty close to the paint and it was a nice little stretch he had um, an alley-oop to mitch he had a, a floater of his own it was a nice stretch where the Nick offense was working without like Randall being at the center of everything. So then Burks comes in and again, I agree with you. I think it's a great point. Um, Burks is as big of a 180 from last year, this year. And I think, I think a lot of it is the role. Um, Not just last year, but the beginning of the season too, right? Before yeah. Ever since yeah, really ever, when Rose got hurt where he had to start playing point guard a lot. Yeah. So Burks in the fourth, he tried a little some of that, but like it's the usual stuff with Burks at the point. They're they're taking twelve seconds just to get the ball up the floor and maybe into some semblance of a set. Um Burks was not on. Burks has not been on anywhere than three pointers all year. Um someone who was it? Someone wrote yesterday again about Burks is like I'm pretty sure now shooting better on threes than on layups. He's like having like an epically terrible year on layups. This isn't a slander, Alec Burks. But at some point, again, how do you not call timeout if you have a player on the bench who was having success, who was having his best game in a while, who is a young player that like you want him to have success? This is someone that you presumably want to rely on as time goes on, and you're just letting the clock tick away, watching uh, something clearly fail right in front of you and not taking any steps, not uh, let me be more specific, not taking a step at the position that seems really important. Like you said, when the Knicks were off and running, um, I mean, pace-wise, quickly is a faster-paced guard than Alec Burks. You saw in this game, as we've seen for a couple of weeks now, when the Knicks are fast, they're pretty good. They're pretty dangerous. I don't know why. I'll get, I'll get to that point later. But I just don't understand. Kemba relates to this. If you want to just absolutely squeeze your veterans dry because you've got a title window and this is it, fine. That's not what this is. Alec Burks is not a part of the future. Taj Gibson is not a part of the future. I love Taj, but he's not a part of the future. Um, why do you why do you continue to seem to prefer to lose with what you know hasn't worked? Like the theory is there, there's all these presumptions and prejudices against young players. But that doesn't apply if your veterans keep losing. The the the, the young players can't like double lose. They're either going to lose or they're going to win. I'm very confused by, and it's really been the tension all season. There, and I don't know if it's a front office 
coaching schism. I don't, schism is too strong a word. Something this year with the Knicks seems off as far as is the whole organization on the same page trying to win. Last year, I felt they were, and I know it's easy to say they were winning, so it could look like that. But something's been off for a while in terms of what is the vision and is it shared between Leon Rose and Brock Holler and Scott Perry and Tom Thibodeau? I don't know. I don't know anymore. I mean, I also, it's I think it's a variety of things. I think I mean if you look at the type of guard the Knicks the Knicks have actually d- drafted some diverse guards, but one thing they seem to really like is pull up shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, Obi wasn't that, but quickly was a pull up shooter. Grimes and um, and McBride McBride is bigger than quickly and to be clear I think when all is said and done he will look like a much different player but right now he is similar in that um you know he doesn't get to the rim a ton mm-hmm. uh, although in the G- I mean if you want to cheer yourself up I don't know if you saw the windmill dunk he threw down but McBride had a- I did that was the highlight of the night by far um that's something by the way he hasn't gotten to show a ton of but uh, McBride is is an athlete he's not John Morant but he he would mm-hmm. be probably okay he's not Derek Rose either but he would be the most athletic non-Rose guard on this team. Uh, he, he has the ability to play above the rim. I think he can be better at that than, like, quickly is. Um, but, um, you know, when you're talking about, um, you know, yeah, so so I think that when you're talking about with Kemba and the pace and everything, um, you know, sorry, sorry what, what was your last point before this? I was going to respond to something else, but. I, I was saying that I the there's a, a, a discrepancy I'm finding in the vision or the execution. Right. I, something seems off. With the front office, yeah. So I think the front office is building a modern basketball team. Um, if you think about it, right? Um, can you? Can, Alfred Payton felt a little anachronistic last year. Does that, is that fair to say? Yes. Right? I think there's a time period. Um, I think there are other issues with Payton. Even Payton's first year, he got a lot of shit for not being able to shoot, but he was actually a really good passer. Um, but his game feels a little anachronistic, right? He's a little bit of a throwback. There, most of these players are newer age guys, and there is a drawback to that because they don't pressure the rim much, right? But um, but quickly is a great pull up shooter. Um, they also like quickly and McBride are both guys who are six two six three in terms of how they're listed, but because of their wingspan, they can guard twos, right? Uh, I actually thought quickly for the most part did a good job on Cam Thomas tonight, and, and a lot of his buckets came against um, other defenders. Um, Grimes is not just a shooter; he's not just a guy who plays, but he, he is a high volume shooter who is versatile, right? Um, Obi is not just a a scoring forward, but he's a guy that plays with pace, right? Um, the acquisitions they've made, Fournier is a guy that plays well in motion when. He, like there's been some criticism that why aren't you giving the ball and pick and roll? And then there's been some criticism that like, he's not that good. He just needs to to be a spot up shooter. I think both are wrong. Fournier is good. Like a lot of these players when he's neither the primary guy doing a lot of stuff on a play nor standing in a corner, right? When they're working together. Um, And I think that the front office has built the team with that in mind. And Tibbs, it seems like wants to play more, slow it down, you know, Seth Partner has said a lot of it is just because he's kind of a control freak. I think that's a big part of the mismatch more than like whether they want. I think all parties involved know 
we are waiting for the big move. We're trying to develop our assets. We're trying to develop players, continue to build a winning culture. But um, we are not going to be seriously result-oriented until it might be Donovan Mitchell, it might be Bradley Beal, whoever it is. Uh, until that happens, um, I think the front office knows that. I think Tibbs probably deep down knows that too, but he's also he's not going to play the young guys just for the sake of that. And I think that the front office, I would imagine, gets that. I, like, for example, this Cam Reddish trade, I think that's been overblown um, because the, the, the front office has another year to evaluate him. So if they really wanted to force Tibbs' hand, they can. They could move. They will have the opportunity to move the, the guys they want. Um, so I don't think that's a big. I think ideally they would get the data now and and extend him and unlock him up. But even if they don't, they're not in a bad position with Cam. So in terms of misalignment, it's less goals, and it's more that the front office seems to be forward thinking and building a modern roster that can play fast, that can play. It's also a versatile. Um, so state of NYK pod is, is a very entertaining guy on Twitter. Um, but he, he tweeted at me once and he was saying, I, I think I tweeted something about Cam and he was like a very interesting lineup would be like a, a defensive lineup with Deuce, he said Deuce, Grimes, RJ, Cam and Randall. And I was thinking about that. And my first thought was like, man, that team does no rim protection. They're going to give up a lot of rebounds. Um, but then I was like, yeah, but if you have Grimes, RJ, and Cam, and then if you add Deuce, right, you can switch two to four very easily, and those are all long guys. Those guys can force turnovers, right? So whatever possessions you might lose on the glass, you're getting them back with turnovers, right? I mean, you have to make these kind of – you have to realize these kinds of things are trade-offs. And then I was like, that could be an exciting lineup because they would run. Whenever they did get a turnover, they would run. They have some good finishers. They have The floor will be spaced. And I was like, and Tibbs, there's no way in hell he would play that. And that's kind of the sad thing because, um, you know, people have talked about consolidating the roster. And the fact is, part of the, the problem is the Knicks have 15 solid players. I would say 15, but no stars, right? The closest thing they have is Randall, who is more like a very good player, but not a star. Um, so you can either consolidate, but you can also realize that this is a team that can play a variety of styles. And their ability to be a chameleon can play to that advantage if you have a coach willing to lean into that. But we don't. Um, we won't even, He wouldn't play Obi and Randall together. Forget Cam at the floor, right? Um, you know, so it's... it's it's um, That's what's the most discouraging thing. And then people are hung up on this, well, if we had... so, And then this is going to be another rant, but like in terms of the, the whole the Knicks need a point guard thing, I really don't know what people mean when they say that, to be honest. Some people are like, we need a Lonzo ball to get people the ball in their spots. But the biggest weakness for the Knicks is they don't have a guard. That's what they've really missed, by the way, of late, is Rose and RJ are the two guys who, from the perimeter, can get to the rim. Um, RJ is actually one of the top 20 guys in the league at getting to the rim. And I know this because um, Ersin Demir, who is a great follow, put a stat up and he said RJ is like second worst or, or maybe the worst in the league in his finishing percentage but that's yeah. still 57 percent. and there were like three other guards on the list and everyone else was a big so rj is getting shots at the rim like a big and guess what if it's a 57 percent shot at the rim that's still a good shot compared to like a midi or like most of the shots you get in a normal position if he can get you that a lot i'll take the you know it's like um it's like a power hitter in baseball if he hits 280 
but he gets you 40, 50 home runs. I don't like, I prefer that to a 30, 320 hitter who doesn't get anything but singles, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, forgiving the saver metrics, you know, walks and all of that stuff. Um, Looking at you, so, Jeff McNeil. So, so Lonzo doesn't solve that issue, even though I think Lonzo would have helped. Um, then you say, okay, but that, so then we need someone who attacks the rim. Um, someone like DeRozan, who it's, I think he's played like a star, so it probably would have worked no matter what. And he really would have been the best passer on the team and he can get to the rim. But he can't shoot from three. So how does that fit with Randall or RJ, right? Um, so w- what is it that people want? And then if pe- people are like, well, we just need a true point guard. Like, the point guards come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, right? Steph Curry and John Morant are both point guards. They couldn't have, and they're both star point guards. They couldn't have more different games. Um, so I think what do we need? And I think what we need is someone we need. So we have a lot of guys with incomplete games. It's like an Island of misfit toys. We have a guy like RJ who's great in motion, but lacks kind of the wiggle to like create on his own, but he's like so strong and quick that he can get to the rim on his own. We have quickly who's great at creating a shot on the perimeter. And he's a pretty, he's an underrated passer at this point, but cannot attack the rim at all. Um, we have, um, you know, we have Burks who's kind of in that same mold. We have Fournier, who is who has this like herky jerky game. What we don't have is like a quick guy who can just attack the rim. That's the main thing. So um, that's what they're missing. And so when people are like, "We need a point guard," so a when people are like that, I'm like, be specific in what you mean, because I think that that term has lost a little bit of its mean meaning. But also, too, um, is the takeaway really all of these kind of if the guards we're going to get are all we're going to have shortcomings, right? If you get Jalen Brunson, he's not an elite shooter and um, he's not a great passer, right? If you get De'Aaron Fox, not a good pull-up shooter. Teams are going to go under screens. There's So are we always going to make excuses and be like, I mean, do we need to get Tibbs, Chris Paul? Is that a fair excuse for a coach that I, I can't win unless I have Chris Paul on my team? Mm-hmm. And also if that happens and Randall isn't playing well, well I also need LeBron James. And oh, I can't go small, so I need I need you to get me Rudy Gobert too. Like at some point, it's like you have to you have to make do with what you have. And I don't think the Knicks have a bad roster. I don't I don't like the, the front office isn't perfect, but I think they've signed good players. Um, and I mean, yeah, I'm like the last thing I'll say is someone brought up Pat Riley today. I forgot how they came up, and they were, they were like, I wonder what he would do with this team. Um, you know, he'd probably have a point guard. And I was like, well, he won a championship with. Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole as his point guards, right? Now, he did have a couple of guys named LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Mm-hmm. But did they say, well, we don't have a traditional point guard to get those guys the ball? You can argue LeBron's a point guard. But the point is, like, um, th- those teams found a way to win. Um, and and th- Miami was never bad under Pat Riley, even before they had LeBron. So y- the measure of a coach is can you adapt? And um, and there are limits to that. I think that Tibbs wants to develop an identity. David Fisdale never did. There's, so those are two extremes, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if he does what I said and like plays some funky lineups and stuff, some of them are going to look bad. Some of them might hinder the cohesion he wants to build. But there is a middle ground, right? Like Fisdale did things like play Kevin Knox at the two, right? You don't need to go that far. Right. But there's a middle ground, and you know that actually taps into to Tibbs's basketball knowledge, but I think it's good. Like he's he got quickly a good look at the end. You know that was a nice set because mm-hmm. even before the actual dribble handoff, quickly had a nice look in the corner. For whatever reason, they weren't able to find him, but he ran a nice action to first get quickly in the corner. And he, 
So he, I don't think this is a guy who lacks offensive acumen. He's just completely unwilling to, to exercise that creativity or tap into it. And we had a, a tweet earlier from John Herbsberger. Let me make sure I'm reading your name right, John. John, sorry, not Herbsberger. John Herbsberger, um, who was asking about that question specifically. Like if if Thibodeau, if, if the team demanded that Thibodeau amend his lineups, is he capable of that? Like is he capable of making that kind of change? I think that's the question that's hit me this year um, is I don't know if I – I'm not sure that I know if Tom Thibodeau is capable of changing enough for the era that he's in. Like, I think he does a lot of things really well, I but I don't know about that. Um, and it's a better question to have than the questions I've had about a lot of the coaches for many years. But I think you raise a valid point about, you know, how far can, it's the same as with star players. Like, how much is fair to ask of them to do for you before you have to realize that if your goals and their capacities don't align, like you might have to think, you might have to start thinking differently. And I'm not at all saying like, you know, fire Thibodeau over the break or anything, but um, I do think it's even while you're waiting for whoever the star is going to be. Like if you remember the Clippers right before they got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, um, Doc Rivers was leading a team with really no stars, a lot of nice players, but no stars. It was right before Shea broke out. He was a promising rookie at that point. Oh, okay. But, like, they weren't expected to do much, but, like, they played well enough. Brooklyn did it with D'Angelo Russell before they got Durant and Kyrie. Like, you you can send a message to the league that there's something something positive growing here. You should want to be a part of it. And I don't know if Tom Thibodeau sells that ethos to like the rest of the league i don't know uh, um i mean i will say this right i think there's a lot of people that say last year was a waste you know if we had tanked maybe there was it was a good draft i will push back on that for some of the reason i think that you're getting at which is that the knicks are no longer a laughing stock well the last three games now there are yeah uh i mean i think the fact that there were actually i could hear nets fans at msg is that was stunning. It makes me want to vomit. Yes. Um, but um, but that shows you how frustrating it's been. But the Knicks are not a laughing stock, right? I think teams, players along the league respect them. I think they respect the young talent. Um, I mean, if you think about a lot of people have been hard on quickly, right? Um, but even even at quickly's worst, he's this isn't like Frank Milikina or Kevin Knox, right? When they weren't they were borderline NBA players. He is clearly a positive NBA player who's um, struggling, right? Same thing with RJ earlier this year. Same thing with, o- like, all of these guys, like, the Knicks are not a laughing stock anymore, and there's value to that. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, like, where are they going to go from here? Um, and what is, and, and is Tips part of that? Um, so, I, I mean, I, do I think that, so, I, and I think, I don't think, know that t- teams wouldn't want to come, players wouldn't want to come here. Um, because of the relationships uh, Leon Rose has, but there are still, but it's also, it's a competitive league. Um, and, um, you know, there is going to be other attractive markets, um, you know, not just the Knicks deal with this, you know, DeMar DeRozan could have gone to LA. They chose Westbrook. Maybe, yep. maybe he wasn't that interested either. You know, he, he has claimed that that wasn't really his top choice and 
he liked the pitch Chicago made him, right? Um, the Knicks didn't even, like, I, I, you know, I think Lonzo would have helped. <clears throat> they didn't even have a shot at Lonzo. Right. So part of it is also that, like, um, you know, it might not be that teams, that players are averse to coming to the Knicks, but it could also be that there's other attractive options right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent does Tibbs play into that? I actually think he's like, if we were to make the decision that a lot of people seem to be advocating, I think one downside would be, I do actually think the players like playing for him uh, as frustrated as we might get about the minutes for the young guys. I actually think they like his style. Uh, because I think we just have young guys of that mold right. who like to, they are workers, right? There is not a single, uh, there isn't a single Nick on this team who aloof comes to mind or someone where you're like, um, like they're all gym rats, right? Um, you know, and, and you, you can go to like IQ. That's always been, that was why worldwide West liked him. And I, I think Schwinn before the draft and some Intel and he was like, yeah, this guy is even at a place like Kentucky where it's tough to stand out like that. He was known as a 99th percentile work. We know about RJ, right? He's been groomed for this since he was a kid. He's always had a pro mindset. Yeah. Quentin Grimes came in as a point guard prospect um, who really struggled at Kansas and had to completely reinvent his game. So we went from a guy who was mostly a bully ball guard to um, you know having the most aesthetic jump shots since Ray Allen, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, nah, screw Ray Allen. Grimes is the best jump shot I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, like they have all of those guys, and I think those guys look up to Tibbs. I wish that, I mean, in an ideal world, Tibbs would back off, be a little bit more flexible, um, take more help from his assistants in terms of determining the rotations, um, and I think he cedes some offensive control to Johnny Bryant. Um, but this isn't a perfect world, and and the reality is Johnny Bryant is an associate head coach. If I told you that Utah, which has been a winning franchise for a long time, if I told you, let's say we were firing Tibbs, right? And I told you we could get Utah's top assistant who developed Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, um, who's been part of a winning organization that plays a very modern, up-tempo style, but also is a lead on defense. That would be at the top of your list, right? I mean, I would hope. Yeah. Well, we have that guy, right? Um, but I, I, mean, I might take Quinn Snyder ahead of him, but given that he's not available, and you're talking <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I'll take these are, these would, are the kind. These are yeah. the kind of guys that end up getting hired. We were yes. lucky to get him as an assistant to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but um, but ideally, I think Tibbs does bring something like that, which is why. So yeah, so longer the short answer to your original question, I don't think Tibbs is actively pulling people, pushing people away from the Knicks. But I think if they want to go anywhere, um, he will have to um, he'll have to cede offensive control more, and he'll have to modernize his rotations. I want to get a little psychoanalytic for a, for a spell here, um, and I want to get just as your fan, just as a fan brain. The first half is over. It's been a weird season um, so far. God knows what is still to come. Um, I want to talk your brain as a Nick fan in terms of your id, your super ego and your ego. And for those of you who slept during psych one Oh one, um, at your 8am class, just a reminder, we'll start with the id. The id is your just like aggressive. Um, we'll leave the sex part probably out of it. Um, just, it wants satisfaction. It just wants immediate like satisfaction. So 
my id brain right now wants something that I've never supported or wanted before, which is blood. (laughs) What's that? Blood, right? You want Tibbs gone. No, I don't want Tibbs gone. I I honestly don't. And I got a lot of shit earlier on Twitter today because I tried to to say something with nuance and that's a mistake. I don't want Tibbs fired. I don't want Leon Rose fired. I don't want Julius Randle traded. Like I'm not there for that. What I want, and I hated, I think when the Knicks did this to Mike D'Antoni, I think I hated it because it was so transparent. (coughs) What else was behind it? Thibodeau needs an intervention as far as offense goes. He needs one. My id brain just, my id brain cannot stand watching Alec Burks struggling to get up the floor, Julius Randle holding the ball, like slowing down in the fourth quarter. I need, my id brain just wants the Knicks. There has to be a person who you could hire. You could pay him 60000 a year. And their only job is to, in the fourth quarter, when things go bad, they don't have to speak the rest of the game. I will do it. Their only job is to tell Tom Thibodeau when that shit starts up, you like when they play fast, remember? Like, remember that? that that's what my head wants. I don't know if it's fair. I don't know if it's logical. I don't care. If I'm going to watch them lose, I'm so tired of watching them do something that has success I know teams adapt. Obviously, teams aren't going to want to let the Knicks just play with pace the whole game. But if it's a game of constant adjustments, there has to be a way late in games that the Knicks can do something other than something that is repeatedly failing. Do you have a an id? Can you separate and just, ugh, in the moment, what do you want to see differently? Whether it's reasonable or fair or not. If you could just snap your fingers and make something happen right now, what would it be? Uh, we get Donovan Mitchell for Evan Fournier. <laughs> yes, that is fair. I, I, I like Fournier. Um, I, I, I don't want to pick on him. Let me ask you a Donovan Mitchell question. I'm always hung up. And I know it shouldn't matter, and it, it hasn't affected him at all. I think Donovan Mitchell is like 6'2 at most, like 6'1, 6'2. Yeah. Um, am I, I know Utah's had really good teams with him. Um, am I old world biased in my trepidation at building around a guy six one when, because I feel like then you have to play a certain kind of, okay, let me say, I know if you got Donovan Mitchell, you give up pretty much anybody on, you would, you would literally give up. Anyone on the roster, I'm guessing, right? Like, if you had to anyone, trade... but I think there's this is an important distinction. Okay, anyone, but not everyone. If RJ has to be the centerpiece, but I can hold on to, I would rather trade IQ than RJ, especially in that trade, because yeah, um, I'd rather have a wing next to him. <clears throat> but I would want to keep if I have to make RJ the centerpiece, fine. But I want to keep like in that case, I want to keep Mitch and o- Ob. Um, if I have to make IQ the centerpiece, fine, but I don't want to give up RJ, right? Um, you know, I'll give up more picks or whatever, but I, I won't give up everything because that's the mistake the Knicks made with Melo. Um, well, okay, they didn't give up everything. They had three. They gave up too much for it to be worth it. Yeah, and they had three key pieces. I remember at the time, right? The big debate was they have Gallinari, Chandler, and Fields. 
Yep. The Nuggets want three. Uh, went, went two of them. Uh, or the Nuggets wanted all three, I think. I and think. the Nets were like, we're not going to do that. They held on to the wrong one in hindsight, which I'm not going to kill them over because Landry Fields was really he was awesome. He was a awesome 40% shooter, seven rebounds a game. Really fun player to watch. His shot just fell off. Those free throw dunk follows, which were very cool. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, the Knicks, but even two of them, there wasn't a combination of two that you wouldn't have felt bad about. Um, because they, they, I don't think the Nuggets do that trade if they don't get then they'll go on Ari. Right. So um, that's the thing. If we're giving up RJ, then I think that's all we should give up. Um, so you like, would not tra- if Utah said we want Fournier for contract purposes. Fournier, yeah. RJ Grimes, and two and two draft picks. I would push back hard if I have to give up RJ and Grimes. Yeah. Because um, now, like I like the fun of. If you have Donovan Mitchell, you just talked about his size, which I do have a rebuttal to that. Um, but <laughs> his, uh, I, then I want to pair him with two wings, right, or at least one of them. But you're you're taking away my shooter, who like who would who would and and defender and Donovan Mitchell for all his tools is a, not a good defender. I don't think it has to do with the size though. Um, I I don't I would I would hold firm, right? If it's like something like R.J. Grimes, Mitch, then it's just Mitchell and a bunch of guards that are the same size as him. Um, so in terms of Donovan Mitchell's size, so number one at the NBA combine, I just looked this up. He measured at six, three, um, oh. which I actually didn't know it was that big, but more importantly, he, he has a six ten wingspan. Okay. Um, okay. That is, that is the kind of mold, but that's the same similar mold as James Harden. You know, uh, well, Harden's bigger, but like Deuce McBride is six, two with a six, nine wingspan. Mm. Um, Quickly a six three with a six eight wingspan. So this is the kind of guards that the Knicks have favored, right? Guys who are height wise point guards, but have the length to yes. play out a position. Um, add into the that the fact that Don Mitchell's pretty strong, like he's well built, and he has uh, the athleticism of Dwayne Wade, right? So Dwayne Wade was only six three six four. True. Like that's small for a shooting guard, but he had no problem playing that. The problem with Mitchell is that he's just been a bad defender his whole career. Um, I don't know if it's IQ or I don't think he has poor defensive IQ. I think he's on a well-coached team. Um, but you see, like, the thing is this, right? With the Jazz, and this is why they would be in a tough position if they did have to break it up because in the regular season, Rudy Gobert is by far their most important player. But in the playoffs, yeah. Mitchell's more important. Yeah. Um, but I so, so those are the two reasons. One, I think Mitchell is much bigger than his height would indicate. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also very athletic. And then the other thing is, one thing that's really impressed me is he's really improved as a passer. He came yes. in very much as a two guard in a one guard's body. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He makes he makes wow passes on the regular now. Um, and um, you know, so I think I think that um, you'd have to buy into him improving his defense. That's the big thing. That's what separates him from a guy like Devin Booker, who has bought in on that end. But the, the upshot of that is <laughs> Devin Booker and now Zach Levine are examples of players that had the tools but were just defensive sieves that were able to turn it on. And so that's not out of the question if a player knows how to play the game. And Donovan Mitchell knows how to play the game. And he hasn't, I mean, you saw what happened. Like that game against Utah was painful, right? Um, and part of it was them just hitting threes, but you saw how many big plays he made down the stretch, right? This is a guy, um, you know, who does that. So um, I would be willing to trade anything, but not everything, because 
you could get Michael Jordan with a barren roster and right. he won't compete, right? So, um, you know, you have to keep some stuff to build around him and make sure that you have the moves to make another trade. All right, let's talk Super Ego. Super Ego, quick primer, is like the moral conscience. So this hit me today. I had a I had a real shitty day today. I had a terrible day. And at one point in the afternoon, I just had to, like, sit in the office and breathe. That was, like, all I could do. And it was great. Like, it kind of reset certain things. Watching the game tonight, uh, I had this panic because at first I could only find it on the Yes Network. And it wasn't even their best announcers. It wasn't like it was Iron Eagle. It was, like, some rando. Um, so I found it on ESPN, and I'm listening to Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. And at some point, Van Gundy is talking about Thibodeau and the Knicks struggles. And Van Gundy said, remarking about the Knicks, that, you know, in the offseason, you know, the front office, like, made these moves that everyone thought would improve the offense, and it didn't. And then he said, and that's okay. And there was a sudden moment of clarity where I was like, if you think back, particularly under James Dolan's ownership, the Knicks haven't just had, like, inept leadership but they've had teams that have done just made bizarre decisions like not so much in the last few years but like we've seen some really truly remarkable poor management in the summer last year i didn't have a problem with kemba walker for two years it's like i had no problem with that i was fine with fournier because there was a team option on the last year of the deal noel has an option burks has an option like I don't remember any vi- I don't remember too many people last summer vibing that <coughs> the front office had made these colossally stupid decisions and it was going to come at the bite us. So <coughs> sorry. Viewed through Van Gundy's prism, my superego brain doesn't want to change anything because my superego brain thinks, okay, for myself personally, I'm always lamenting how much the next turnover coaches how much the Knicks don't hold on to any young players for a second contract, how much there's always a new plan. And they had a, a season last year that was the first one in, in a long time that vastly surpassed expectations. And this year has been, I would say, despite the highlight lowlights of the last week, a disappointment, but not a colossal failure, just a disappointment. And by the logic of what I usually claim that I want, I would say just bring everybody back and accept the fact that like maybe New York fans do overreact because I I think they're certainly not the only fans who overreact. I think fans in general overreact, but Thibodeau didn't forget how to coach presumably over the summer. You know, Leon Rose was everybody's posting the cute, you know, Sopranos memes a few months ago. He hasn't suddenly, you know, forgotten everything he knows about management you know, my superego brain says on a moral level, you should leave the Knicks alone because if you're always complaining about dysfunction and turnover, you can't scream for a drastic change the moment the team has somewhat of a, disapp- a disappointing season. But like, that's it. It's a disappointing season. They're not going to go 17 and 65. They're not, you know, tanking. They're not, they're just struggling. That's what my superego thinks. On a moral level, Stacey Patton, what should happen with the Knicks? In a morally just universe, what would you do or not do? Move the Nets to Seattle. 
Um, <laughs> um, there's a lot I agree with that. I also in the Van Gundy, people have actually interpreted that and taken it out of context a lot. Uh, I thought that was a fair assessment from him. Mm-hmm. Um, they took a shot. They took a swing with limited ability. Um, they didn't want to trade picks for a guy like DeRozan, which would have been the bigger splash year move. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like someone like Lonzo wasn't an option. Um, so they, they, the best point guard they could get was to take a flyer and see if Kemba could re- recapture his magic. By the way, everyone says the front office made these moves. Uh, besides Fournier, none of them got paid like starters. Kemba got paid like a backup point guard. Yep. Um, yeah. Less. Kemba barely makes more than Peyton made last year. Yeah. Um, Burks is getting 10. Noel is getting 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, these are guys that play. So when everyone's like, well, the front office signed these guys, don't they look bad if maybe they're t- forcing tips to play them? And I'm like, no, I think they gave him more options in case the young guys weren't ready, but I don't know if I'm willing to buy that mandate. Here's what I'll say. I'd say that the vibes are still more positive than they were, um, two years ago, even after a night like this, although they're, they're, they're starting to test that for me. Yes, agreed. <laughs> uh, it's 320. They've, I mean, Fred Katz tweeted this. This is the third straight game. They've blown a 20-point lead. And all three of those games have been against um, two straight-up non-playoff teams. Mm-hmm. And then the third team that is a playoff team, but obviously was missing their entire team, basically. Um, so the Super Ego says that the vibes are better still. Um but the Super Eagle also asks how much of that is the infrastructure and the front office and the coaching staff? Because I think between Kenny Payne and Johnny Bryant, those guys are lauded for the kinds of things that we're seeing. The young guys are developing. Uh, you know, They do have more modern personnel than they have maybe in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this isn't a team that is trying to start Julius Randle and Marcus Morris together. Um, so... So what's what? So so the, the moral part of it tells me that if if we were to make a change, like there's people who are like we should get Kenny Atkinson. I would prefer to promote Johnny Bryant, um, it, because he because he's he's going to be a coach soon. That's just the fact. He he was Utah's top assistant, and we stole him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they stole him without making some wink wink non non promises. Hmm. Um, and I would imagine he would modernize the offense. He relates well to the young players. Um, he's been a top-notch development coach, uh, and I'm sure he, you know, he has relationship across the league where he would be able to even build out some other stuff. So the super ego part of it still only leads me as far as I want to maintain continuity, even if we have to make a change. Um, that that's where that goes for me. Last but not least, the ego. Ego is kind of this realistic mediation between the id and the superego. So you're realistic, Nick Brain. Um, what do you think is going to happen, big picture? My realistic Nick Brain is very afraid. My, my realistic Nick Brain is torn because realistically, I don't really think there's much that they can do or would try to do at this point in the season. I don't think, I don't think they're going to make a major change to management or coaching. Trade deadline is passed. Like I think they're going to roll with this bunch and we'll see what happens. But as a New York Ranger fan, also, um, I am still jarred by James Dolan single-handedly 
interrupting the Rangers rebuilding process last season um, and shocking the whole league by getting rid of his coach and his general manager his franchise legend, John Davidson um, basically. And, and, and Dolan in a press conference acknowledging that he spoke, you know, he heard from other owners that they thought the Rangers should be farther along in their success than they were. And, and Dolan apparently with no filter for competition took that and ran with it. This kind of a loss to the Nets in a game where you're hearing the crowd chanting defense when the Knicks have the ball and when there's Brooklyn chants going on and just the scene as that thing was just falling apart and slipping away, my realistic brain is afraid that that's the kind of game, even if nothing actually sparks a headline for tomorrow, that that's the kind of game that makes Dolan decide I have to step in now. Yeah, so uh, Stefan Bondi tweeted this, um, but after after Cam Thomas's three, Dolan walked out of his seat and left. Um, I don't know how often that happens, um, but for what it's worth, Bondi thought that that was noteworthy enough to tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't tweeted about that before, so I'm I'm willing to believe that that's it's notable. Um, so you're worried, but. Let me ask you a question. If they were to promote from within, right, maintain the staff that they have, do you think they lose that much with tips? Because it clearly seems like you, you you seem worried that that would be a negative for the franchise. It, mo- it doesn't worry me without, obviously, okay. It doesn't, it's not a convict. Like when, for me, when the Knicks went from, um, <laughs> this is going to sound very stupid, but it's how I feel. When the Knicks went from like Larry Brown to Isaiah Thomas, I was devastated because it reached to me of where is your sense of direction? Because you were going from one year with, it was a terrible year. I know Schwinn can do like a whole season of podcasts on why Larry Brown sucks. It was one very bad year, but you canned one of the most successful coaches in the league who had won a championship two years earlier for a lesser prospect. For me, when the Knicks canned D'Antoni, basically forced him out, and brought in Mike Woodson, I was also disappointed, even though that season ended well, because it felt to me like you were clearly downgrading. I don't feel the same about Bryant versus Thibodeau, which is a credit to Bryant, given that he's never been like a head coach. I wouldn't be devastated if like there was consistency in the staff. I guess it's it's two things. One is, um, you know, when you're used to seeing someone you care about mess up in the same way over and over. And then they're always telling you it's going to be different. It is certainly possible that next time it will be different, but you're just tired of seeing it happen. Like, so there's that aspect. It's it's not that I think it would definitely be a disaster, but I don't trust this franchise. This franchise has no benefit of the doubt with me. And I I wonder maybe it doesn't matter so much for the same staff, but maybe it's better because honestly, I'm glad you asked that. I'd be concerned because like I I feel like even if if it's the right thing to do, like Dolan might find a way to screw it up. But I don't think Superstar X probably is more excited to come play for Tom Thibodeau than he would be for Johnny Bryant, even with Bryant having no record, just because I don't know how many stars 
are thinking like some some guys want to be pushed and ground down, but um, I could see Johnny Bryan being more appealing. And if there's continuity under him, that would certainly be more appealing than bringing Kenny Atkinson and all his people in. I can certainly say that. Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess because that's the thing, right? Like, there's been two good parts of this Knicks renaissance, right? Or, or mini mini renaissance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that tip. Part of that is Tibbs built an identity last year, uh, which is something they missed. I I cannot just skate over that, uh, no matter how critical I might want to be of Tom Thibodeau. But the other part is having and developing better players. Um. And if those players have gotten good enough to the point where you can start to evolve your identity, is Tibbs the right guy for that becomes a question, right? Or does he only know one way to play? And if that's the case, then how much of how much of our success, you know, how much what's more replaceable? The the success we've had from the staff and, and guiding those guys, or somebody who can establish an identity and, and give you what Tibbs gives you as kind of that guy who you know, players want to run through a brick wall through or whatever and, and establishes, you know, playing hard on D uh, without maybe running players in the ground or, you know, having some of the other issues. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I think Johnny Bryant has a good relationship with players and stuff, but it, it's tough with first-time coaches. Um, um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's, but I think that that's where, so the, the two things I'll say, A, I don't think Tom Thibodeau is Larry Brown. Um hasn't had that in a good way or a bad way uh in in a bad way larry brown has won pretty much everywhere he's gone uh besides new york (laughs) um but you know just looking at his career right um won the championship in 2004 with with the pistons um had a lot of success he made the finals with ai um you know two conference finals in indiana was a thorn in the Knicks side obviously um, you know, he, he had success. And then before that, he went, he was a coach at Kansas and he had success in college. Thibodeau does not have his resume. Thibodeau has been a valued assistant. Um, but Thibodeau had a, a run of good years in Chicago. And I think where he really impressed people was even when they had a ton of injuries, he was able to put the ball in Noah's hands. But he almost, I mean, part of it is also, he seems to be the guy who, a common criticism is, he can't win without stars. I think the better thing is like he he loves a team of like Joe Kim Noah, Taj Gibson, Luol Deng. That's just gonna fight and grind. That's why he loved Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock, right? Like I want to. He I, it almost seems like he's a better fit to go to a four seed with those guys than if you give him like LeBron, D Wade, and Bosh. Like you know what I mean? I think he would actually prefer the first situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, he, that's just that's who he is as a coach. But if we want bigger and better things, then that's that's kind of so. A Larry Brown seems to be someone who is more of a general had success in a more wider variety of situations. And I think the reasons he failed in New York were not the kind of reasons that Tibbs is struggling with. Number two, I think the other thing that's important is changing the direction completely. Right. So if we were to fire Tibbs and then you hire Kenny Atkinson. Or you hire some first-time coach, and they modernize, but we lose our entire staff. Uh, you know, maybe they have their own quirks, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where I think you can have continuity, even if you lose Tibbs. Um, 
but just evolve the identity as opposed to changing it and or replacing it. Right? I don't think we want to start over. What we want to do is at the most extreme would be pivot, but really not a huge pivot, just kind of lean more into some of the things that this roster seems to be built for. Mm-hmm. Well, the first, the pre-All-Star game season is finished. The next stand at 25 and 34. They are 12th in the East, two games behind Washington. Now also, led. Yeah, go ahead. So they're now two games behind Washington. But there are, are now at the position in the season where there are two types of standings to be looking at. Um, oh, yes. Um, so I, I, I would imagine from how much we've talked and your tweets that you are not the fan that likes to look at draft standings. Um, but it's tough not to look. So just kind of a heads up on where the Knicks are. Um, so if we look at five, so right now they would have the, the ninth best odds and they're tied with Portland. Um, who has lost four in a row, traded CJ McCollum. Or sorry, Portland has actually won four in a row. Mm-hmm. This is on Tankathon. <laughs> the colors are reversed. So green is bad. Green, <laughs> green means you lost three because it's good for your standing. And red is actually, um, is it, red means you won. That's fine. But so the Knicks are now, but um, they're 25 and 34. New Orleans is just one spot below them and they did trade for cj mccollum they're at 23 and 35 then you have san antonio and sacramento who have 23 and 22 wins and then you have indiana which has 20 wins um you know it looks like the knicks could climb up to fifth even like that's how i see it um and then if i look at the lottery odds um and which takes in or nba predictions right that takes into account the fact that the Knicks also have a grueling schedule, right? Yeah, they do. Um, so if we go by projected record, um, after tonight, the Knicks are now projected to finish 34 and 48. Their playoff odds, uh, which seem to be following some kind of exponential decay at this point, are down to 0.9%. So this is Jim Carrey and Dunn. 0.9%? Yeah, that's their odds of play, making the playoffs. Uh, I believe this means playing, not even. Wow. Um, and right now, how they're projected to finish, they would have two, three, four, five, six, seven. They would have the eighth, the eighth, um, the eighth best lottery odds. Um, but that projection has them only a game above San Antonio, only three games above the Kings, who have been playing better of late with. Um, DeMonte Sabonis and only four games above the Pacers and that's where you really get an inflection point but again I think that it's possible for them to finish fifth um, I don't know how close you might watch college um, I think one player who a lot of Knicks fans are into is is Jaden Ivey um, athletic guard from, from Purdue who can shoot a little bit uh, handle the ball gives the Knicks a lot of what they need um, You know, what are your kind of thoughts on that whole thing on the tank, I think I would not say just it, tanking, but even the idea that you know we would have one eye on, on the draft and all that. So. I think I think that's the only responsible thing to do. Um, it's something that Jeff Van Gundy, Jeff Van Gundy in some interview earlier today, um, said that it, he thought it was best for the Knicks to miss the playoffs, and I agree with him because it he he said because it shows them like how far they are. Um, I was tweeting to someone earlier that I, I don't. You were saying earlier, I think the Knicks do have. 
a number of solid players. Um, but the Knicks, I think, are untalented in too many categorical spots. Like, Julius Randle is awesome. Compared to the average NBA player, Julius Randle is awesome. He shouldn't be the best player on your team. R.J. Barrett, I think, is a very nice young player. The three players drafted before him and right after have been far superior. Mitchell Robinson is probably the Knicks' third best player at worst. Um, I mean, some nights he looks the best, but maybe he's the third best player. Mitchell Robinson is not going to be the third best player on a really good team. So I think if you're the Knicks, I don't know when when, when they would feel comfortable doing it. Sit down, Burks. Sit down, Kemba. Play the young guys as much as you can. Let them lose. Try to get up to, you know, the best odds you can get. Get up to, like, six. Um, the way the lottery is now, that's almost just as good as... They would even lose more, much more if they, they benched him. I'm saying. And, and if you look at the teams who are technically... I don't know how you want to phrase it. The teams who, are, who have a worse record than the Knicks. Um, the teams who are slated right now to draft higher. The only ones who are worse than the Knicks, the only teams as bad or worse than the Knicks in their last 10 games are Indiana, Houston, and Detroit. So, you know, there's going to be some team right now that sucks that's going to win games late. The Pelicans certainly are going to push. I think the Spurs, maybe not, but Popovich, you know, is not going to have them just completely bottom out. I think you should if you're the Knicks right now. I don't know if they would ever publicly say it, I don't know how the players would feel about it. They're still close enough that they could make a run, maybe, question mark. But I would say no. Just develop the young guys as much as you can. Let them play with Randall. Um, and and see where that goes. But focus on that so that wink-wink happens with your lottery odds. Yeah, Um yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it becomes a win-win situation, right? If you play Deuce and Deuce becomes and shows you that, hey, maybe this is a long-term player at point guard, mm-hmm. um, that helps, right? If they lose, then you improve your lottery odds, right? But I think losing with vets, losing where Taj Gibson gets half half an hour, 30 minutes. I don't know why more people don't say half an hour. But, <laughs> it sounds um, more, more accomplished that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Taj is getting those kind of minutes and Jericho Sims doesn't play... Uh, you're not accomplishing anything, right? Yeah. Um, and I say that's someone who likes watching Taj Gibson play generally, but on a night like tonight, he didn't have it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you want to play the kids. Uh, you probably don't want to... It's going to be tough to tell someone like Alec Burks, who does want to keep going for their career, that you can't play anymore. Um, so you probably have going to have to get them in. But, you know, you, you have to figure out a way to get the young guys' minutes. Last thing I want to talk about is a guy who very well could have been the story of tonight um, if he hit one more shot. Uh, and that's that's um, Emmanuel Quickly. Um, and um, so he had a bounce back game. The threes were falling and they really haven't been um, all season. Uh, my thoughts on Quickly, I didn't, you know, I've kind of been a defender of his, but I didn't really feel like going on Twitter and dunking on people on him today. Because uh, the fact is this, right? I've I've looked at a lot of things with quickly. There's a few things that I think that have popped out to me. 
number one, a lot of people have, have this narrative that because he's asked to play point guard more with Rose out, his shooting has suffered. And I push back on that because he's hitting about the same number of pull-up threes he was last year. Um, he's actually running fewer pick and rolls than he in was. In terms of volume year. or in terms of percentage hitting the Both. same? Okay. Both. Same volume, and he's about 33%, which is pretty good for pull up threes. Okay. Um, but the difference is last year he hit 46% on spot up threes uh, on about 2.8 per game. This year that's down to about 34, 33%. Hmm. Um, last year he shot 43% on wide open threes. And again, the NBA tracking stats can be wonky. This year, that's down to 31%. So I think the fact is, he's it's not him dribbling the ball and, and taking worse shots. I mean, he's taking slightly more pull-ups this year, but not a huge amount. Mm-hmm. The difference is he's missing open open shots that he normally hits at a very high rate. And I think that the what was encouraging for me is, again, another thing you can slice many different ways. You know, People can be skeptical of, of on-off ratings, but you put them with RJ, you put them with Randall, you put him in a variety of lineups, and the net ratings almost always come out positive. He has a positive impact when he's on the floor, even this year when he's been shooting like crap. Um, and his assist, and and where he has improved is, I think he's probably not the passer that everyone wants him to be, but his assist rate has improved. It's at twenty two percent, and his turnover rate is basically the same. So he's basically doubled his assist without increasing his turnover significantly, and his defense has improved. And the fact is. If he can contribute this much while he's missing all of his wide open shots, it basically comes down to do I expect Emmanuel Quickly, who was a great shooter in college, a great shooter last year, to continue to consistently miss wide open shots? No. And I think you're going to see him more nights like tonight. Uh, and that's the thing. If he's, or if he's still contributing to winning shooting like that, imagine if he shoots the ways we can expect him to or we would expect him to. That's pretty encouraging to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm going to close with two questions for you. Um, one is trivia, and one is actually just a specific thing that I, I'm afraid of the answer, but I keep seeing it. I've seen a number of people tweet something suggesting that the most the Knicks can offer Mitchell Robinson is like a five-year, $55 million contract. Do you know if that's true? Is there like a specific cap on what the Knicks can offer Mitch? No. So if they want to extend him, during the season, they they can extend him before the off season. The most they can offer him, I believe, is four for fifty two. Okay. Um, that's if they want to extend him now. Okay. Okay. But if he goes to free agency, uh, he will be an unrestricted free agent. But the Knicks have bird rights, so they can go up up to thirty percent above the cap for that, and they can sign him at that point for anything they want. Okay. And I'm gonna end. Um... The first half of our season with a little bit of trivia for you, Stacey. Um, of the 10 players who have played the most games in Knicks history, only two of them were never all-stars. One was during the, the glory teams of the 60s and early 70s. One was a player who played throughout the 80s um, into the very early 90s. Any guesses? I can tell you what order they are. I can give you the ones for those who are curious. Number one is Patrick Ewing. Number two, Walt Frazier. Number three, Bill Bradley. Number four, Carl Braun. Number five, question mark. Number six, Charles Oakley, who did make it once. Number seven, question mark. 
Number eight, Willis Reed. Number nine, Harry Gallatin. Number 10, Dick Barnett. So two Nick players <laughs> among the top 10 in games who were never all-stars. I was going to guess Bill Bradley because I thought he didn't make an all-star, but I guess he did. He did. He made, it might have only been one, but he made one. Uh, senator and an all-star. That's quite a... Yeah, he was a one-time all-star. Um, DeBusher must have made an all-star and he didn't play that many games. Uh, Walt Bellamy left before those teams. Um, Kazzy Russell? It's not Kazzy Russell. Um, I don't know if I would have gotten... Definitely, the I don't know if I would have gotten. I don't would not have gotten either one of these guys. Um, yeah, I'm just going through. I would have also didn't know Dick Barnett made an All Star game. Yep, he made one as a Nick. Um, yeah. So, so if I'm thinking of the '70s teams, right? Obviously not Pearl or Clyde. Um, obviously not Reed. Uh, Reed was an MVP. Um, these are both. Barnett, Kazzy, yeah, Kazzy's the one guy who um, is a much better, is much more highly regarded as at my college team than um, than my pro team. Um, yes. Who, not Lucas. Um, it wasn't Bellamy. All right, if I'm thinking of the '80s, '90s one. Did Cartwright ever make an all-star team? He did, but it's not him. And he's not top 10, it sounds like. No. Um, he would have been maybe if he hadn't missed. Uh, he had so many devastating injuries with the Knicks. X-Men? He didn't play enough. He was only there one year. Um, For anyone who followed the Knicks in the 80s, this name mean something to you yeah i was uh i have seen all of three months of the 80s and i can't remember them so. <laughs> okay well so number five on the list is phil jackson um <laughs> yeah. Somehow the one, yeah wow <laughs> i always forget how long he was there he was there yeah Really long time. Um, I I ran through everyone I could think of on the Knicks on that team in my head. I yeah, think of the one. Yeah, yeah. He was he was there sixty eight to seventy eight. Um, missed one year with a back injury, and then seventh on the list, um, Trent Tucker. Hmm. Who just if you didn't watch the Knicks, I think every day in the eighties, you would never realize Trent Tucker was there forever. Trent Tucker was there also, I think, about a decade. Um, just so there's He's some like Herb Williams on the coaching staff. <laughs> Trent Tucker is the Herb Williams of big players. All right, well, um, I think that's it for this episode, and that's it for this half of the season. The Knicks will have representation at the All Star break. My daughter's favorite player, Super Cutie Obi Toppin will be competing in the slam dunk contest. She's extremely excited for that, which is awesome because with two of us, it means we'll definitely get to watch the slam dunk contest that night. Um, Nick's return to action next Thursday. 
no, next Friday uh, against the Miami Heat, which just is not not the best matchup for the Knicks coming. Oh, in this is, this, I mean, the, the, I mean, this is going to be brutal, right? The upcoming stretch. Back to back with the Sixers after that, I think. Yeah, um, it's a terrible stretch. It's terrible. They're done. And I mean, yeah, and we we had great luck that Simmons and all of them are out, but something tells me Harden will play then. Uh-huh. Yeah, he two against the Sixers. Uh, then they get a little bit of a break after the Sixers. Just kidding. They go three time zones away to play the best team in basketball in Phoenix. Um, they play the Clippers. They get what in theory is a break, but at, at... <laughs> there's no breaks for this team. Yeah, you they they just lost to Cam Thomas. They're not going to stop Demontis Sabonis. No, um, no, the Kings are playing our opposite trend. Then they go to Dallas, which you know. Um, you know, I guess. Wow, that's going to be weird not playing them with KP. I know. <laughs> uh, Memphis, which feels like a kryptonite type type team because they're young, athletic, and play a modern style. Uh, then they go back to face the Nets again, um, presumably with Durant back and Simmons. Yeah, uh, and I mean the Nets don't even need those guys to beat the Knicks. Maybe they'd true. only get in the way. Who knows? True, true, true. Um. Blazers, Wizards, Jazz, Hawks, Charlotte, Heat. Really, until March 27th, they don't have... They play the Pistons. They could legitimately lose every game until then. They could. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I would recommend Matt watching Jaden Ivey. I will, I'm going to right now start looking up <laughs> Jaden Ivey uh, reviews and highlights because, look, we've been here before. We didn't expect to be here, but we've been here before. We know how it works, and it's only 23 games. It's not 82. It's only 23 games. You could do this standing on your head, Nick fans. It'll be very easy. Um, and if it's anything, you know, Douglas away, right? you know, and it, it gives us a good excuse um, when we resume um, episodes to to do more talk about prospects. Um, that'll be exciting. So, best foot forward, chin up. Um, that's it for this episode. That's it for the first, basically, three quarters of the season. Um, the Knicks will see you on, good Lord, what day is that? February 25th. So get your sleep in while you can. Goodbye. They certainly did in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.